I actually started working on this sermon quite some time ago. But then Friday morning, I saw something, and it really it confirmed the direction that we are headed this morning. It was a, a quote from Tim Tebow, actually, and it says, Out of 7.8 billion people living on this earth, there is no one else like you. Out of 7.8 billion people living on this earth, there is no one else like you. So today I want us to look at the thought, there's only one you. There's only one you. Someone once said, there are two great moments in every person's life. The moment you were born and the moment you realize why you were born. Let that sink in for a minute. Two great moments in your life, the moment you were born and the moment you realize why you were born. Before we read our scripture text today, I want to share some things with you that I know without a doubt to be true. If you are saved, it is not an accident that you were saved when you were saved. That's number one. Number two, you were not saved to simply be a fixture in the church. We have plenty of those. Not talking about people, talking about fixtures. Microphone stands, chairs. We don't need people to be fixtures. The fact is that God has called everyone to service. And everyone who is saved has been called and saved for a purpose. If you are here today and you are not saved, or you say, well, I'm not sure if I'm saved, I will say to you today, number three, God wants you to be saved. And you can be secure in your salvation before you leave this place today. It is a fact that God wants you to be saved. But the choice is yours. 2 Peter 3.9 says, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. I will go one step further and say this. Whether you are saved or whether you are not saved, number four, it is not an accident that you are here today. God knew what songs would be sung today. He knew what scriptures would be read today. He knew who would physically be here, and he also knew who would be watching online. I say that so we can know for sure that wherever you are, it is neither an accident or a shock to him that you are hearing these words today. Everybody with me so far? Okay. Real quiet this morning. So with that in mind, let me ask a few questions that I want us all to consider today, and please don't answer them out loud. The first of these questions is, do you really want to find the purpose that God has for your life? Number two, what will you do with the opportunity once you know your purpose? And finally, I'll ask this question. In order to fulfill God's purpose for your life, hold on, everybody. What changes do you need to make? And what changes are you willing to make? And I'll just a hint here. Those need to be the same thing. The changes that you need to make, you need to be willing to make them. In order for God to use us in the way that he wants us to be used, when we see something that needs to be changed, we need to change it. Amen. Thank you. Each of us has what I want to refer to today as a uniquely personal purpose. 
It is the calling that God has on your life, and it is unique to you. And since there is no one else in the world exactly like you, no one else will be able to do it exactly the way that God has purposed for you to do it. It makes you kind of special. It makes you really special. One of the most important decisions or definitions of success is not how much money we have, what kind of car we drive, how big our house is. Instead, it should be identifying what we have done with our uniquely personal purpose. We need to examine our lives and see if our uniquely personal purpose has been developed and shared or if it's been underused or worse yet, if it is just sitting dormant and not being used at all. Before you say, well, Pastor, I don't, know if, I don't know if that's true or not. Let me assure you that there is a God-given purpose for your life. I'm not going to tell you when you leave here today that you will know with certainty what it might be. But I hope when you leave here today that you will at least looking, that you are at least looking to identify it and then evaluating whether or not you're using it. Is that fair enough? 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world by evil desires, caused by evil desires. Peter begins this letter by saying that everything we need to live, that we need in our lives to live godly spiritual lives, has been made available to us by means of an intimate, full knowledge of Christ. In other words, our knowledge of Christ and our relationship with him, along with the Holy Spirit that lives in us, will provide us all that we need to follow the will of God and fulfill God's purpose for our lives. Not only is that the very foundation for our continued growth in spiritual character, it is also the very source of our power. Look what Paul wrote to the Colossians, Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 and 11. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully, it goes on to say, we don't have to read that, Paul was saying that he was praying that God would fill them with wisdom. How many want to be filled with wisdom? So that they might live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. If we are truly asking to be filled with wisdom, we will live a life that is worthy and pleasing to the Lord. When Solomon was presented with the opportunity, you can ask for anything that you want, anything. Think about that for a minute. God comes to you and says you can have anything you want. What did Solomon choose? He chose wisdom. When we have wisdom and we're seeking the wisdom of God, all of these other things will take place and they will happen in our lives. 
going on. Paul wrote, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, and then here's the final result of all of this. It will enable us to be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. A lot of folks have heard sermons about power. I've preached several. They've talked about the power. We've sang songs about the power. And yet, they've never experienced it, and they don't possess it. So with that in mind, I would ask you this question, why not? If we talk about it, we hear, hear it taught, we hear it preached, we sing about it, all of the things about the power of God that he wants us to have. Why don't we have that power? We have multiple promises in the Word of God that when we are saved, when we receive the Holy Spirit into our life, we will have power. So if we don't have it, then again, I would ask, why not? Back in the book of 2 Peter, we see in verse 4 that through Christ's glory and goodness, he has given believers a gift of exceptional value. It's a gift that Peter calls great and precious promises. Everybody say that, great and precious promises. The word given as it's used here is not the usual Greek word used to denote a simple act of, of handing something over to somebody. Instead, as it's used here, it is a word that draws attention to the value of what's given. It's not just any gift. It is a special gift. And it, this word denotes a very special gift that has been given us. And these are promises that enable us as Christians to enter into a partnership with God in the divine nature with Christ. Now, I will tell you, I am certainly not a Greek scholar. I struggle with the English language. But in doing some research, I found out that the Greek word for promises, as it's used here, had a very special meaning in classical Greek culture. It was used in connection with public announcements concerning uh, events that were of concern to everyone. Stay with me here. Watch this. It was a word, for example, used in announcement of public games. It was a word that was used at the time of announcing sacrifices to various gods. In essence, it, it, it implied some type of emphatic public announcement that was intended to be heard by everyone. And the importance of us knowing that is, is to understand that all of these promises we're reading about in 2 Peter are promises that are made emphatically and publicly for the benefit of all believers. They're not thoughts and ideas that are stated quietly and privately for the benefit of a few. That means these promises are for you. It means these promises are for me. It means these promises are for everyone who would believe. The words that we are reading today in 2 Peter are all for us. I think too many times we get caught up in, the, in some thought process that we read something in the Bible and we go, yeah, but that's not for me. It is for you. We don't each have our own little version of the Bible. We hopefully have the same one, maybe different translations, but overall the same Bible. And every word in that book is for us. When we receive these great and precious promises, we are no longer 
the same person we used to be. Very familiar passage of Scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old is gone. The new has come. And I will tell you, as a new creation, we as believers can grow in Christ-likeness, experiencing greater victory over sin every day. And we do that as we become more conformed to his image. The more we become Christ-like, the further it pushes us away from sin. There's two directions we can go. We can go towards sin, our old sinful nature that we were born into and lived most a lot of our life in, or we can push towards Christ. But I will tell you, the more you become conformed to his image, you will become more of the you that he has created you to be. In other words, this life, this divine nature that Peter described in 2 Peter 1.4 delivers us as Christians from the bondage of sin. Paul wrote about this same thing in Romans 8, verses 11 through 13. Paul wrote this. He said, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. You wonder why you're not getting anywhere? You wonder why you're not growing in Christ? You wonder why you feel like you're stuck in a rut somewhere? It's time for a spirit check. It's time for a Holy Ghost check. Everything that Paul was saying all went back to this spirit that lives in you. We cannot go out into the world and be what we need to be. You cannot be the you that God has created you to be if you don't have the Holy Spirit in you, going on. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. Watch this. But if the spirit you put to death, the misdeeds of the body, you will live. When this spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in us, we can and will live as a new creation. Back to 2 Peter. 2 Peter 1, verses 5 through 11. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measures, that growing thing again, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In this passage, Peter presents a list of Christian virtues that we should make every effort to add to our lives. And we do that in order to grow step-by-step step in our Christian character and become more Christ-like. We have been shown tremendous grace through Jesus Christ. And Peter was saying that because we have been given that grace, we should make every effort to add these things to our lives that would make us more like Christ. Well, what are these things? 
He listed them here in several verses. The first thing he listed was goodness. And goodness speaks of moral excellency. Knowledge involves a growing awareness of, of spiritual things through the Holy Spirit as we concentrate on, on God's Word. Self-control has in view the practice of controlling one's passions in a matter of spirit-assisted discipline. You notice that we're coming back a lot to this, the Holy Spirit, that a lot of this requires the Holy Spirit. It's like a, a few months ago, I, I, in a sermon, I had a, a battery-powered drill. And I, you can stand up here and pull the trigger all you want, but until you put that battery on it, it had no power, and it had no purpose, and it was not good for anything other than use it for a hammer maybe, and they don't make good hammers. We are no different until we have that power, until we have the Holy Spirit living, us that, living in us that gives us power, we cannot accomplish what we've been called to accomplish. It's like us trying to be a drill that has no power there's just a lot of folks in churches today that are supposed to be drills and they're just hammers. Moving on. Perseverance deals with the ability to stand firm under adversity without any thought of throwing in the towel or giving up. Godliness, this signifies a, an attitude of reverence and a piety toward God. Brotherly kindness suggest a genuine kindness and concern for the needs of others. And then finally, Peter lists love. The virtue that desires the highest good for others. The best example of love is found in John 3, 16. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus gave the ultimate example of love, when he gave himself to die for those who hated him. Not for his friends, for those who hated him. Paul also wrote of the importance of love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Paul wrote, and we're not going to read it all, but Paul wrote, we can have all the things that a lot of folks think make up what an ideal Christian is. Things like having special gifts of the Spirit, and that's a great thing. We can have faith that moves mountains, and that's a great thing. We can give to the poor, and on and on and on, lots of good things. But if we have all of those things and we miss out on love, then we are no more useful than a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. And I can tell you that both of those on their own are just annoying. And we won't go into detail on that. <laughs> Paul goes on to say, in verse 13, that of all the things, all those things will pass away. All those special gifts, all the things that we look at as being so super special, and they are special, but all of those things will pass away except faith, hope, and love, and even then, the greatest of all of those is love. Back to the virtues found in our passage in 2 Peter. According to Peter, Failure to grow in those virtues results in spiritual ineffectiveness or uselessness and lack of productivity and unfruitfulness. In other words, other words, we become a drill without a battery. The choice is simple. We can remain a spiritual baby. 
which seems fine with a lot of people, even though I don't believe it's fine with God, or we can go on to spiritual maturity. The sign out front says, helping you to reach the high point of your walk with Christ. And really, that's, that's our calling. We don't want to get saved and sit on a chair somewhere and say, boom, I got my stamp, got my card checked. I'm just going to sit here and wait till Jesus comes. No. That's just the beginning. Peter later wrote in 2 Peter 3.18 that we are to grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grow in grace. Now, let me say again, we can't stay spiritual babies all of our lives. We need to grow up. We need to mature spiritually. Let's carry that thought a little bit further. Babies are cute for the most part. They get a lot of attention, and that's fine. You know that's true. Babies get a lot of attention, and that's fine. But if after several years, a teenager is still acting like a baby, it's not cute anymore. It's just sad. It's no different in our spiritual walk. We all grow at different paces, but we must grow. We must go forward because to stay the same year after year after year is not only sad, it's contrary to what Peter wrote in 2 Peter 3.18, that we are to grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter goes one step further, and he portrays non-growing Christians as being spiritually blind, as having forgotten that they were cleansed from past sins. It's like your sins are forgiven. You've been shown grace. You've been given this power, and you seem to have forgotten all about that. Because you, if you hadn't forgotten about it, you'd be going in the right direction. You'd be growing. You'd be becoming that person that you were called and that you were created to be. Peter felt so strongly about this, he really didn't hold back. Remember, Peter was one of those kind of people that kind of didn't have problems saying things. So he wrote about both the positive and the negative side of having these virtues in our lives. So why is it so important for us to have these virtues? Remember, we are talking today about the fact that there is only one you and that you have been saved for a specific purpose. And if we really believe that, that we are saved for a purpose in the kingdom of God, then it would only make sense that what we are doing would involve possessing godly virtues, wouldn't it? If we're going to go out and work for the kingdom of God, it only makes sense that we have godly virtues in our life. Peter wrote in verse 10 that every believer has a personal responsibility in the light of God's call or election of them to obediently do these things, to continually grow in spiritual character and maturity. He also said that Christians who will do these things will not fail, will not stumble or regress spiritually. As long as you're doing those things, you will continue to go forward. You might not be going as forward as quickly as you would like to. You might not be going forward as quickly as God would like for you to. You might not be going forward as quickly as I would like for you to. But as long as you're going forward, keep going forward.
Paul, Peter also said that those who did these things would receive a rich welcome into heaven. And, and this is a big deal because mentioning this rich welcome into heaven is a big deal because it served as a reminder to Peter's audience in his day that there had been many people who had died through persecution because of their faith. And it should remind us today that present difficulties are easier to handle and endure when our eyes are on heaven. It doesn't mean we forget about living day-to-day lives and only think about heaven. Instead, it means that when life becomes difficult, we realize that we really do have a promise of eternal life. And with that in mind, we diligently live every day here to serve Christ so that someday we'll see him face to face. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 12 through 15. So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it's right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body. Because I know now that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. Those are amazing words. Think about what Peter was saying here. His reference to this tent of a body revealed what he was saying about the previous, reiterated what he was saying about these previous verses, that this life is really nothing compared to eternity. This life is temporary, and Peter realized that his life was growing to an end. If you go back to John's gospel in chapter 21, we read that Jesus actually foretold of Peter's death as a martyr. And then here in verse 14, that's what Peter's talking about. He references that. Jesus himself told me I'm going to die. And it was for this very reason that Peter expressed a strong desire that his readers would always remember what he wrote in this letter. He wanted to say these things in a way that would keep it in their memory. I will remind you of these things, and I will make every effort that you remember these things after I'm gone. Why is that so important? Because it was that important. He wanted to make sure that these things just were buried in their memory so that when he was gone, they would still have those things to hold on to. He spoke of his upcoming death without fear or terror. He just described it as putting this this life aside like a tent, just temporary. Tradition says that Peter died a violent death in Rome, that he was crucified upside down during the persecution of the church by Nero. And although Peter acknowledged that Jesus had made it clear to him that he would die a martyr, he was at peace about that. Why? Because he knew that this life was just a blink compared to eternity. When we think we're having a long day, it's all 24 hours. Some are a little harder than others. Or a bad week or a bad month or a bad year. It's nothing. 2020 is nothing compared to eternity. But because Peter knew there was only one him, regardless of his past failures, 
And although Jesus had foretold of his death, Peter didn't just sit back and do nothing, just waiting to die. No. Instead, it made him all the more vigilant to live his life in a way that assured him that someday he would see Jesus. It also motivated him to try to make sure that everyone around him had the same opportunity. And that should be our, our desire today. I want to live my life so that I know when I pass from this life, I will see Jesus face to face. And on my journey, I want to make sure that everybody around me has the opportunity to go with me. And here's the thing. There's only one you. You will reach people that I will not be able to reach. You know people I don't know. Your circle of influence includes people that I will never come across. That's why it's so important for you to do everything you do on your way in a godly and Christ-like way. Peter's purpose in writing these things was so his readers would never forget what was important. So they would always have the guidance to move forward in their own walk with Christ. If when this life is over, if I make it to heaven, and nobody here else, else here is there, I have failed miserably. If I make it to heaven, and only the folks who walk in the doors of High Point Church are there, I have failed miserably. When I make it to heaven, I want to see the people that I see at Publix, the people I see at the restaurant, the people I see at the gas station, the people I come in contact with at the hospital. Everywhere I go, I want to see those people in heaven. And it will only happen if I continue to be the person that God created me to be. Like me or hate me, there's only one me. <laughs> and as long as I am doing what God has called me to do, that's okay. What Peter knew for sure was that his life had a purpose. And that he had lived up to that calling that was given to him by Jesus Christ himself. Peter had made a lot of mistakes. Peter had done a lot of dumb things. He had spoken up at times when he could have, could have, should have just kept his mouth shut. Could have and should have just kept his mouth shut. He had even denied that he knew Jesus, not once but three times. But he always kept coming back to the teachings of Christ as the most important thing in his life. He knew that without a doubt he was called for a purpose and because, not, not because he was so brilliant, but because he was willing to do what he was called to do. He was willing to be the person that Jesus had called him to be. Remember, Peter was not an educated man like the Apostle Paul. He was a commercial fisherman. As Peter followed Jesus during Jesus' ministry on earth, we saw time and time again that he was not the shiniest fork in the drawer. But what we also saw was that Peter was willing to be used as he was needed. He was willing to be 
who he had been created to be. Remember, this is the same man that on the day of Pentecost stood up and preached a message and 3,000 people were saved. That's not bad for your first sermon. It's a good start. It wasn't so much his ability as it was his availability. And I know we hear that all the time, but do we take it to heart? It's not just a cliche. God is more interested in your availability than is he, he is your ability. He can work with everything else as long as you're available. It's just too many people today just aren't really available. We have too many things else, too many other things going on in life. Well, pastor, you don't understand. I got, it's okay. Peter had a few things too. Like fear of dying. And yet he pushed forward. And he was steadfast in the person that he had been created to be. Anyone here have a, a sterling silver tea set at home? I see one. Several years ago, I read a story of someone who had a, a sterling silver tea set that a family member had given them. It was quite old and very beautifully made. And from the time they received it, it only sat on a stand in their dining room. You say, well, why did it just sit on a stand? Well, because they couldn't use it, and here's why. It seems that the family member who had given it to them had had it chemically treated so that it wouldn't tarnish, which is good. The problem now was that if it came in contact with hot water, it would ruin the finish. So it looked good, but it wasn't useful. Growing up, my mom and dad had a set of china that was kind of like that. It was very beautiful and very expensive. But in all the years that my mom and dad have had that china, I might have eaten off of it three or four times, maybe. Other than that, it just stayed in a china cabinet. It's too pretty to eat off of, so we just look at it. Let me tell you this this morning. God is not looking for sterling silver tea sets or fine china. He is looking for rough and tumble clay pots. He's looking for melamine dishes. We used to call them melmac, I think. The kind you could bounce off the ceiling and throw on the floor, and they just bounce and go boom, 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 and they don't break. He is looking for the kind of stuff that can be used every day. He's looking for the kind of pots and pans and dishes that don't need to be tucked away in a china cabinet, but instead one that can be sent out into a crash-bang world carrying with them the message of Christ. The church was never meant to be a china cabinet where precious pieces could be stowed away out of harm's way. Instead, the church was meant to be a working kitchen where well-worn pots are filled again and again to dispense their life-giving contents to a thirsty world. 
Salvation is not just a promise of a better future. We know by what Peter wrote that it is that too, but it's much more than that. It is a call to live for God's purpose, not ours. So, Pastor, am I supposed to just forsake everything and follow Christ? Yeah. That's kind of what Jesus said. Seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. The reason we don't see the things happen in our lives and in our churches is because we don't seek him first. That's just the truth. We like him to be a part of our life. Maybe third or fourth. But until we get to the place where he is number one in our life, where we seek him first, we will not see the things happen in our lives. We will not see the things happen around us. And we will not see the things happen in our churches that God wants to see happen. And keep in mind, if in fact, and you are, the only one like you that God has ever created, you have a unique purpose that no one else can accomplish. We all have a purpose that God has called us to. We're to work toward developing those, those virtues that Peter wrote about. And as we develop those, those virtues, we will find ourselves becoming more effective in our unique purpose that God has called us to. Peter, Peter made it clear that this world is a temporary home at best. But while we are here, during that short time that we are here, every one of us has a calling and a purpose to accomplish. And that is to accomplish all we can for the kingdom of God. Our prayer should be, if we are truly seeking after God, our prayer should be, Lord, help me to not become the Christian version of that shiny silver tea set or that fine piece of china that just sits in a cabinet. And could we add to that prayer, Lord, let me be that old cast iron pot, that old cast iron skillet, the one that has some stains and some scrapes, maybe a dent or two, but is still useful. Lord, help me to be that for whatever it would be that you would want to use me for. We have seen today that it is God's will that everyone would be saved. If you have never given your life to Christ and ask him to be the Lord of your life, why not do that here today? There is a place at this altar for you. If you'll just step out, someone will meet you here. If you're not sure where you stand in your walk with Christ, as far as salvation is concerned, then why not be sure before you leave here today? There is a place for you here as well. Maybe you've been living for God for years, maybe decades, but you have never completely committed everything in your life to him. If that's you, there's a place here for you too. Maybe you've been living for God for years, and you just don't feel like you have all those Christian virtues that Peter wrote about in, at work in your life, and you would like to see those things more active in your everyday life? If so, there is a place here for you as well. 
Maybe you aren't sure what God's purpose is for your life. On the other hand, maybe you know what it is, but you haven't made the changes in your life to fulfill what God is calling you to do and what he is calling you to be. If so, there's a place for you at this altar. Ask God to show you what it is that he wants you to do. Actually, regardless of who you are, or where you are in your walk with God, there's a place for you at this altar. Because there really is only one you. So with that in mind, would you ask God to help you to be the you that he created you to be? And ask God to accomplish what he created you to accomplish for his kingdom. Would you stand this morning? As we sing this morning, if you fall into any of these categories this morning, would you come and pray? Let's not get into